Welcome to the Whitetail Experience Podcast. We are a solution-driven environment for whitetail bow hunters, creating solutions leading up to the shot, the moment of truth, the shot, and events after a successful harvest. Join our community for more techniques to hunt with knowledge and shoot with confidence. And receive this podcast, plus additional articles and videos, at www.whitetailexperience.com. Hello, this is Eric Eastman again with the Whitetail Experience Podcast. We are fortunate today to have Brandon Reyes with Trueball Release Company on the phone with us to talk about our topic, which is how do you choose the right release for hunting whitetail? Brandon, could you say hello to our listeners? Hello, everybody. Great. Hey, Brandon, uh, I know you're the marketing director over at Trueball, but I believe it's also a family business. How'd you get started with Trueball? I know you, you've got a lot of credentials behind your name, and you're a competition shooter, you're a great whitetail hunter, and uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been uh, involved in archery since I was a little kid. My my grandparents uh, and my father got me introduced at a very young age, uh, so I've been, been around archery pretty much all my life. But, uh, you know, once they kind of turned me over to uh, the uh, the archery world, I uh, kind of took it to another level. Uh, I've worked in a retailer business before, uh, you know, where I've been selling stuff to customers, whether it be bows, releases, sites, uh, you know, anything to do with archery or hunting. Uh, I was involved with that for a long time. And then from there, uh, I turned my career into uh, a professional. So I, I competed about 25 tournaments nationally and worldwide every year. Um, and then with that, about 10 years ago, uh, I was approached by uh, not only Matthews Archery, but Trueball. Uh, and I was looking at a um, job in the industry, and I was either going to go to Matthews up in Wisconsin and interview there or come down here to uh, Virginia uh, uh, with Trueball. And the opportunity worked best for me to be able to com- compete as a professional uh, to come to Virginia. The weather was a little better for practice, uh, you know, year round. So here I am 10 years later. Um, I met my wife here at work, who uh, is the uh, the daughter of the owner of Trueball and Excel Archery. Um, so now I'm kind of in deep with, uh, with the business. So, uh, you know, this is uh, uh, a family business, like you mentioned. Uh, we have probably... Uh, 10 direct immediate family members that are involved uh, on a day-to-day basis here uh, at the factory. And, uh, you know, we travel all over the country to uh, uh, to take care of our customers, to work dealer shows, uh, tournaments, uh, you know, and all kinds of events uh, throughout the course of the year as one big family. Um, and not only the family members, we have about uh, 100, 100 to 140 uh um, members of our staff from top to bottom here at Trueball Archery. That's awesome. So I guess the Matthews thing is now out of the question now that you're so entrenched in Trueball. That's correct. Yeah, but I'm still involved with Matthews as a professional. Uh, I've been uh, with Matthews my entire professional career, which is is ten years now. Uh, and I was one year as an amateur with Matthews, uh, so. Um, working on 11 total years with Matthew, so I'm still involved with them as well. That's awesome, and, and we're very fortunate to have you on our pro staff, too. Uh, you're definitely a, an incredible archer, and for our listeners out there, what tournaments are you competing in? Uh, I compete in uh, not only the uh, 
uh, ASA and IBO, which is the national level 3D tournaments uh, throughout the United States. Uh, but I also compete in uh, a couple international tournaments every year. Um, I tr- generally try to do the Indoor World Cup, uh, which takes place generally in, in China and France. Uh, and then they added an additional one, so there's four now, uh, in addition to uh, the Vegas tournament in uh, Las Vegas that the World Archery Festival uh, runs. Uh, and then also the remaining NFAA events uh, that are target archery in the United States, including the indoor and outdoor nationals uh, and uh, the Reading Trail Shoot out in California. That is a busy schedule. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, you know that's just a small small percentage because we additionally have the uh, the APA show, which is you know where we do a large percentage of our sales for the year. Uh, you know, which is a week uh, generally in January. And then we've got several dealer shows uh, basically through February uh, where we're showcasing the 2015 or 16, whatever year we're working on uh, product, uh, new products and uh, uh, our entire product guides. Uh, you know, so it's, uh, it's a busy end of December, January, February because of the, all the dealer shows and then, um, additionally, the tournaments are starting to kick in as far as indoors are concerned. So you're primarily focused on ASA and IBO. That That is your primary focus. Yep. So just for the layman, could you explain to us what the what type of targets you're shooting at? Because uh, I know it's different than what Dave Cousins is doing. We've had on another podcast. Um, explain to us what you're doing that's different than what he's doing based on what type of targets you're shooting at in ASA and IBO. And uh, are they known distances? Are they unknown distances? What I compete in and what I enjoy doing the most is, uh, as a 3D archer is uh, with the 3D targets. Now, Dave and I have competed numerous times uh, in target archery where we're either shooting, uh, you know, just paper targets at a known distance um, or just, you know, like an indoor 20-yard uh, or 18-meter round also with the target base. Uh, you know, what I enjoy doing is uh, the unknown distance on the 3D animals. And we use, uh, in ASA, we use McKinsey 3D animals, and in IDO, we use Reinhardt 3D animals. So the animals are lifelike, natural-look kind of, kind of targets that, you know, if you were to look at them at a glance, you would think it was a real animal. Uh, and the animals have scoring rings on them, and... You know, you determine the distance from the shooting stake to the animal to, uh, you know, in an attempt to make the best shot you can. Now, with the growing popularity of 3D archery in, you know, the last couple of years, a lot of that growth has come with, uh, you know, known distance classes. So basically the only difference there is, like from what I just mentioned, is instead of determining the distance to the target, that is a given. So the individuals can either use a range finder or they get a sheet that has the distances on them for every target they're going to be competing on that day. And like I had mentioned, that's that's where a lot of our growth in 3D has has come over the last couple of years is in the known distance categories. So there are, you know, thousands of shooters out there across the country that, you know, maybe afraid of coming and trying 3D archery because they don't want to hurt their image or reputation because they don't know how to judge yardage. Where now, 
we've kind of given that to them and you know the growth has just gone crazy um in in our 3d archery sport because we've opened it up to the known distance classes and you know currently that's only an asa and IBO. Geez, Brandon, I can really go on and on on a tangent with you, but I want to make sure that I circle back to the original context of our podcast here is how do you choose the right release for hunting whitetail? And obviously you're out there, uh, you're simulating a hunting environment. You have foam targets, 3D targets that you're shooting at. You got known distance, you got unknown distance. Sometimes you can grab your rangefinder uh, in a hunting situation, and sometimes you just got to make the best guess that you got. And you say, all right, that's 20 yards between 20 and 25. I'm kind of at the same pin. Um, but let's, let's really hone back in on that, on the release. And you've got a bunch of areas of expertise. What are the different styles of releases that people are shooting today when hunting? Nowadays, uh, there's more variety, I think, than there used to be about 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, and I say this because it seems daily that more and more people are getting into using a handheld style release for hunting. Uh, and that was pretty much non-existent, you know, a decade ago. So, uh, you know, like always, um, I would say, you know, the first and foremost, most popular style of release out there is the wrist strap. Now, probably 90% of our releases are, you know, some type of variation of wrist strap release. And this is popular because you throw it on your wrist, you have it, you don't lose it, you can't drop it out of the tree stand, and it's just convenient. Now, that's a trigger-style release, is that correct, Brandon, where it's a strap with a trigger? Yeah, a strap, uh, wrist strap-style release, you know, is going to be, you know, an index-style trigger release. Okay. So that's your most popular release out there. And now, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages? So, so a big advantage is that it's always on your wrist. What would be a big disadvantage of a wrist-style release? Well, the most, uh, you know, the biggest disadvantage I hear, you know, more than anything is people get antsy on the trigger and they want to punch it. So it all comes down to the this big disadvantage for a wrist strap style release is going to be the activation of it and the fact that, you know, people get, uh, you know, kind of antsy with the trigger, so they want to punch it. And when you punch it, it just leads into, you know, negative, uh, uh, you know, types of shooting that is not conducive to someone that wants to be very accurate. So, you know, and there's, there, and don't get me wrong, there are a lot of people that use the wrist strap release and are very consistent and accurate with it. But it's, you know, having that index style trigger, I see, you know, more than anything, you know, people are improperly fitted with them. They try to barely touch the end of the, tri- the, the finger, their finger, index finger to the trigger which, you know, are all ways that it can work, but it's not the most accurate way. Uh, you know, the best way that i found that uh, to have success with the, the you know, index-style wrist strap release uh, is to hook the trigger more, uh, kind of like you would on a, uh, you know, with a rifle. You know, hook the trigger and kind of pull with your shoulder blades together uh, to, you know, to activate it. I think... You know that eliminates a uh, you know a big negative that people get uh, you know over time with uh, you know wrist strap release and that's punching the trigger. You believe the most accurate way to get the best trigger release off of a wrist strap style uh, release is to wrap your finger around the trigger. Don't pull the trigger. 
but use your back tension shoulder blades to actually make it go off. Yep, yep. Just kind of pull your shoulder blades together after, you know, after putting, you know, wrapping your finger around the trigger, you know, and, and that's the big thing is make sure, one, your trigger isn't too light to where you can actually feel the trigger before it fires because some people want to set it so light because if they set it light, then that's going to, you know, get the you get the arrow off the bow faster. So it's going to, uh, you know, we're not going to hold the bow back as long. And the longer you hold the bow, the more your shot breaks down. So, uh, you know, my advice on this would be, you know, wrap the finger around it, around the trigger. Don't have the trigger so light that you can't do that. Otherwise, you're going to go, the release is going to go, or the shot's going to go off way before you're ready. Uh, and, and then just start pulling, you know, with your, you know, with your back muscles and pulling your shoulder blades together. So it's not going to take a lot of movement, you know, once you get some, uh, a taut grip on the trigger to make the release actually fire. Now you mentioned adjustment a little bit ago. What, what type of adjustments do you have on there on a wrist strap? Since it is 90% of most releases that are being used today for a hunting situation, what are the adjustments that you would say that are critical to somebody's success? Well, uh, you know, we've tried to build as much adjustment in releases nowadays as we can, just because everybody has a different uh, uh, a different feel or a different requirement to make them feel like they need, uh, you know, to be able to shoot the best they can. So in most of our releases, I would say in our economical releases, and economical I'm saying, um, you know, like, $60 and less uh, for the retail price. Most of those style releases are just going to have a travel adjustment. Uh, so the amount of movement that it takes to release the fire, you know, is the travel. Where if you get into some of the higher end stuff, you know, up, you know, from basically that $60 mark and up, depending on what model it is, you not only have that sensitivity or travel adjustment, you have a sensitivity adjustment as well. So now, you're, uh, you have the ability to adjust that movement that it takes, and most people want no movement, so that's the you know that travel gives you the ability to set that to where there's no movement when the release fires or when it doesn't it fires. Uh, and then in addition to that, uh, they will have a sensitivity as well. Some people, you know, like I mentioned earlier, want to set it light, you know, and then some people want to set it heavy, and then you have all the adjustment in the middle there too. Um, so generally the higher the price the release, the more adjustments you're going to find in the models. And probably more precise machining also. So you got more adjustment is probably a little bit more accurate than machining that's done. Exactly. Uh, you know, you're going to find more parts, uh, you know, and more parts is what's signifying that extra cost. Okay. I remember when I used to shoot, I, I don't currently shoot one anymore, but when I used to shoot a wrist style release, I think one of the biggest breakthroughs that I had was when I went into my local shop, an excellent teacher, um, he, uh, the first thing he did is when he looked at my release, he was like, oh my gosh, buddy. He goes, your release is way too long. And I go, well, what are you talking about? I says, you know, this is the way, this is the way it came. And uh, he ended up taking off the head of that release and uh, basically the head that, uh, that's got the trigger mechanism on it. And uh, he pulled off the rubber that I, I never knew there was a big, long screw underneath the rubber. Yep. Yep. <laughs> he, he pulled off the rubber and he screwed it all the way down. And he goes, and he had that, uh, the head of that release, uh, I would call it the tip of the head was right um, at the, basically right at the top of the palm of my hand, at the bottom of my fingers. 
Yep, that's perfect. And then he cut off the um, he cut off the remainder of the tube, and then put the tube back on, screw the head back onto the release, and he goes now. In his opinion, I was properly fit for that release. And I was like, oh my gosh, he shortened this thing up about two and a half, maybe even three inches. <laughs> I mean, it was dramatic. And uh, he goes, now try and shoot. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much more crisp, so much more clean. By the way, I still wasn't releasing it with back tension like uh, like you were just describing to do <laughs> a minute ago. But is that a pretty good, accurate pictorial of what somebody should be doing when they're using a wrist style release? Because out of the box, they come pretty long. Yes, and that's uh, you know that's that's a perfect representation of the way I would set somebody up if they were to walk into my store. Uh, and I will say, you know, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of people out there use the release way too long, and they're stretching that index finger just to hit you know a small portion of the trigger to make it fire. And that all is you know is you know is what I consider. Uh, you know, steps that are ultimately going to get you into either target panic or punching the trigger. So, you know, shorten it up, make it fit to where, you know, that, like you had mentioned, that trigger is right at the base of your fingers. Brandon, I think you've done a pretty good job sizing up for us uh, some of the pitfalls and things that we need to look for in a wrist style release. You mentioned there was two other styles of releases other than the wrist strap style. What's another style of release that you're aware of for a hunting situation that we should be considering? I think the next popular after the wrist strap style release, uh, you know, with the trigger would be, you know, the thumb activated, uh, you know, trigger style release. Uh, and the last being that of back tension release. I think, you know, nowadays more people would use or are more susceptible to using a thumb activated release. Uh, but more and more are getting into that back tension, but we can cover the back tension last uh, because I think it's of the three, the least popular. Okay. So basically, you're saying that the, the, the second most popular is a thumb-activated release, but there's, there's a couple different styles of thumb-activated releases. I mean, you guys have several styles. Your competitors have several styles. I think it comes down to, to feel, uh, but what is a thumb-activated release, and what are you trying to accomplish with that thumb-activated release, and how do you hunt with it? Well, to, to answer the last question first, you know, you can, you can hunt with any style release pretty easily. Uh, and this is actually my choice, you know, when I go hunting. And it's simple because it's a simple choice for me because I use this all summer, all winter when I'm shooting, you know, uh, you know, targets in 3D archery. Um, you know, so it's something that I'm used to. So it's something that I don't want to change come hunting season. I don't want to have to try to learn anything new when I've been practicing with, you know, some activated style release all winter or summer. Mm. So, you know, when fall rolls around, I don't change. But the you know the the couple different types of uh, thumb activated releases we have, they're all activated by you know the use of the thumb, and uh, you know one of the things that I like about using the thumb activated release is because I have my hand actually inverted and my thumb is pointing down with the flat side the back side of my hand against my face, and I ultimately think you know that this gives me the best anchor point whether I'm hunting or, you know, shooting targets. I got to steal a tip from somebody else that I learned. When you anchor that release, do you have the knuckles of your index finger and your middle finger on your jawbone? Some people do, yes. That's that's a popular uh, anchor point for a lot of people. Uh, you know, with me, I'm a little bit different, and you'll notice guys with glasses 
uh, like me shoot a little bit different based off of, you know, having to, you know, move their head a little bit differently to be able to see through the glasses. So I turn my head more and, you know, the string is on the side of my nose. Uh, and, uh, you know, like I said, the, the flat back side of my hand is up against the side of my face. Uh, you know, and that, that's what gives me, you know, the most accurate anchor point I could get and still be able to see through my glasses, you know, with my head turned right. So, uh, it's, uh, you know, the, the way you mentioned is very popular and it's a great way to be able to get in the same spot every time. So, uh, you know, that's something that I would uh, highly recommend if it feels good to you. Yeah, I just switched mine uh, to that spot after learning about it. And it's, it's amazing what it did to my accuracy just after two practice rounds. <laughs> I was like, oh, my right. gosh, yep. how come I never learned about this before? I was I was kind of kicking myself when I was out there. But, you know, whenever you switch anchor points, it's um, you have to switch your sights. You got to switch your peep. <laughs> you know? It's like, oh, man, what did I do to myself? It's a whole new, uh, whole new ball game, man. But I ultimately feel that, and I always tell people this that used to come into our shop is most people have, you know, some type of brain wave that runs to that index finger that tells them to hammer it. And that's why you see a lot of people with problems that are using an index style trigger. And that's why I recommend a thumb style trigger because I think that. Uh, even though you can still hammer it, you know, I think that the reaction time on your thumb is not as great as it is on your index finger. So I think that, uh, you know, that the ability to make a better shot can be done with your thumb with a thumb activated style trigger, uh, as opposed to an index style trigger. So, um, you know, it's just, it was one way that would help me convince people that, you know, a thumb activated, I think, would make you a better shot if you put the time into it mm. and, and practice with it. Uh, I think you'll see that, you know, not only are you going to be able to extend your range, I think you're also going to, um, you know, shrink and, you know, make your groups a lot smaller, at, you know, longer distances. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. I have moved from, as I mentioned, I originally I started off with the index, you know, finger-style trigger. I've been hunting for years now, probably, gosh, eight, nine years uh, with a thumb-activated trigger. I'm like, gosh, it's actually been longer than that. Now that I actually think about my <laughs> my, my age and back into it. But, um, you know, one of the things that I've, I've noticed is that I've got several styles of releases. I've got, uh, I'm fortunate if I get a couple of your styles, a couple of other people's styles. And one thing I've noticed is that there always seems to be, a, at least in the ones that I own, it always appears to be a spot where the trigger wraps into the cradle of your thumb, but then your thumb basically rests on a, uh, call it the um, the flat, hard surface of the actual release aid, where you're almost creating a, a kind of a round gap around it. Right. Is that intentional, or is that, are you supposed to wrap your thumb around the actual trigger, or supposed to be focusing on the trigger, or are you actually supposed to be almost like touching your index finger with your thumb, but you're actually touching the release aid. Just, uh, you know, just like any other release um, or archery in general, whatever way you can do it to make you to be able to repeat it time after time is going to be the easiest. And just like the index uh, trigger style release, um, whatever you can come up with to be able to ensure that you're getting in the same spot every time on that trigger 
is the way you want to do it. And the way I instruct people is to not put your tip of your thumb or any part of your thumb that you can't get back in the same spot every time on the trigger. Uh, and, you know, the way I instruct people is to actually touch your index finger and your thumb together. And then, you know, with all the adjustment in the in the actual thumb barrel itself on the trigger mechanism, adjust it to where, you know, that feels comfortable in the back, you know, basically at the bottom of your thumb where it meets your, uh, meets your palm. So you're actually activating the trigger with, you know, that, that specific spot I just mentioned, the lower part of your thumb and, you know, the, the part of your palm where they meet as opposed to the tip of your thumb. And, you know, this, uh, you know, will ensure that you get in the same spot every time and consistency is what we're all looking for. And, you know, I think it'll give you a consistent spot to return to time after time. So, you know, adjust that, you know, and, and that's why in all of our models, and our competitors' models, there's a lot of adjustment in that thumb barrel piece. Uh, and, you know, that's because your thumb may be three and a half inches long, mine may be two and three quarters, and, you know, we've got guys that, uh, you know, play professional ball out there or, uh, or you know, whatever it may be, that uh, have fingers that are, or thumbs that are four or five inches long. So you got to have that adjustment in there so people can adjust it to their liking. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the biggest aspects of a thumb activated release is having that adjustment and making it feel comfortable to you uh, and, you know, being able to reference, you know, it in the, your hand the same spot every time is going to spell accuracy in, uh, accuracy in the end. So that's interesting. So just like you're saying with a, um, just like with the trigger style release or the wrist strap release, like you mentioned, uh, you're activating with back tension. You're doing the same thing with a thumb activated release. The object is not to pull the trigger with your thumb. The object is to get your thumb on there and release with back tension. And basically, and you're getting your back tension by pressing your shoulder blades yep. together. That's correct. And, you know, and some people simulate it like, uh, you know, squeezing an orange or squeezing a softball. Uh, you know, it's basically you know, what you're doing, uh, you know, with the thumb activated release, um, you know, is ultimately to get it to fire. Uh, if you can picture yourself, you know, like squeezing a ball where, you know, all the fingers come together, they're coming down on that release, which in turn, you know, once, you know, a certain amount of pressure is built on that trigger, it's going to fire. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing that happens, uh, you know, when you're pulling those shoulder blades together to activate the release is, you're actually pulling that release uh, into your hand, which in turn, once that pressure is built up, is going to, you know, the whatever pressure you have it set at, it's going to activate the trigger, thus firing the bell. Yeah, that leads into another question I got for you, and this actually is a question that I started really pondering upon it after you and I talked uh, at an event that we were at. I said, Brandon, I, I need to get one of your releases because I want to make sure that I've got a you know good quality, reliable release when I'm out doing things, and I want to make sure I have a you know a couple in my bag. Also, I'm kind of forgetful; I'll, I'll, I may lose a release here or there. And <laughs> and one of the first questions you asked me is, you said, "Okay, great. So you want a thumb style release? No problem." He says, "Well, you know, what type of uh, barrel do you want for the thumb?" And we kind of talked and hashed that out. We figured out what was best, and and then uh, you hit this question. And you says, "Well," 
how many finger holes do you want in the release? You want a you want a two finger? You want a three finger? And they said, well, we also have a four finger. I'm like, well, what, what the heck, man? I mean, what's what's the difference between these releases? Why why would I want a two finger? I mean, I I don't think I've ever seen one until the, you threw one out and you said, oh, hey, here you go, check this one out. What's the difference between them? And why would I want to manage into a different style for whatever reason based on? Is it just comfort? Is it help the way you shoot? Is there is there an advantage? You know, some people may, you know, think that it helps the way they shoot, you know, based off of their liking. Uh, you know, we've always offered two, three, and four-finger model releases. And it seems to be, uh, you know, over the years that when you're talking to a hunter, uh, you know, or somebody new, uh, you know, getting into a thumb-activated release uh, or a back tension release, because we offer, you know, these, the two, three, and four-fingers in the back tension also, uh, it all it all comes down to uh, to comfort, but mostly you know what we've seen in the hunters uh, over the years is they prefer the four fingers, uh, you know, because in a hunting situation they may have to hold the bow longer. Four fingers on the release makes them feel like they have more leverage and may be able to hold more, you know, pull more poundage and you know have a little more holding weight, you know, if they're shooting an eighty percent let off bow, uh, you know. So they you know and it all comes down to just like you know, choosing any type of release for any um, for any type of archery, um, you know, it's all about comfort and what feels good to you. Uh, you know, with that being said, you know, with the hunting people choosing four finger mainly, um, you know, I prefer three fingers for everything that I use. Whether I'm dabbling in the back tension, uh, you know, or I'm shooting, you know, target archery with a thumb activated or hunting with the thumb activated. I, you know, I prefer the three-finger model. Just real quick, when you say it's a four-finger release, is that like, uh, does that look like a pair of brass knuckles? Or is the fourth finger That's open? That's correct. Yeah, you have every finger, uh, you know, every finger has a home, uh, you know, with a four-finger release. Uh, and then your thumb, uh, on a thumb-activated model, would, of course, would be on the thumb lever. And that's what would activate the release. So, you know, on a three-finger, your pinky would be basically... Uh, you know, it wouldn't have a home, so it would be kind of off of, uh, you know, off in space, if, if you will. Uh, and then a two-finger, likewise, would have your ring finger and your pinky finger, you know, without a home. And you basically drawing the bow with just your index finger and your middle finger. So, as you can see, you know, with the least amount of fingers that you have on there, if you're visually looking at it, uh, you know, it's going to be more difficult to make a 70-pound bow back for a hunting situation with just two fingers as opposed to grabbing it with a full rack of your hand uh, and yanking it back. So, uh, you know, that's why you can you can easily see right there that, you know, most hunters would prefer a four-finger model as opposed to a two or a three. Yeah, I've got a three-finger model myself. And it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like a non-typical deer or something. It's got like a little kicker that comes off of the pinky. There's not a hole for it, but you still got a place to kind of manage the spot for your finger. Right. Yep. And some people require that. Some people feel like, you know, having that pinky out in space just, you know, may cause them to, you know, to get moving, may cause them to, you know, have inaccuracies or whatever. I've never seen it, you know, but it's uh, like I had mentioned, it's all on feel and what, what feels good to you and, uh, you know, what you practice the best with. And in most cases, you know, like I mentioned, hunting people like for, and our most popular, you know, as far as across the board with back tensions or uh, thumb activated is three finger. 
Uh, it's kind of right in the middle there, and you know it's a safe bet if somebody wants to, you know, buy three or four of them to uh, you know put in their shop uh, for customers to potentially buy. Uh, you know, it's it's a good kind of run of the mill in the middle. You know, and it's it's got a good feel to it, and people can determine from there if they need to have that additional finger on the release or not. Well, dang, Brandon, I can't figure it out. We're both shooting a Matthews. We both shoot Carbon Express. We both have a true ball release, and you've got the same finger style as you. Why can't I shoot as good as you do? Oh, you can. And I'm sure you do sometimes. <laughs> it just depends on, uh, you know, depends on the day. I'm sure we all have our days. But uh, it's uh, it's all about practice. And, uh, you know, you know, I practice basically. I consider all this term and archery stuff my practice for hunting because that's my passion and i've been whitetail hunting for 25 years uh, you got some nice bucks to prove it uh, i've got a few uh you know but i, I still got goals that i want to reach and uh i feel like that you know i'm hunting some of the best places out there and i think i will you know reach those goals but uh you know it won't be from lack of effort i know that and uh you know if i'm given the opportunity i want to make sure that my equipment's you know right and you know i feel like i can make the shot and uh i think that you know with uh, the products that are out there and you know like some of the ones you mentioned uh they're the best ones out there and uh they're the ones that are going to help me you know make that shot if i'm you know put in that situation and uh you know it's for me i've been lucky enough to you know take a lot of animals and uh you know a lot of white tails and because that's I grew up in the Midwest, and that's that's my passion. I, no matter what I'm doing every fall, it's going to include, you know, hunting whitetails and, uh, you know, Indiana, Ohio, uh, Illinois mainly, Iowa. You know, it's some of the best places in the world to hunt whitetails, and I'm going to find time to be there. <laughs> that's awesome. I got to move into the last I release that you just talked about. And that is a back tension release. And I can tell you, I, I do have a back tension release. I had great aspirations of using it to make sure that I started. It, it, is, it is, until you figure out what back tension is, it's difficult to understand when somebody's talking about it unless you've actually experienced the bow going off with true back tension. It really is okay. a heck, it's a surprise. Every time it's like, holy crap, it went off. <laughs> yep, and, right. um, and no matter how good you get at it, you get rid of the holy crap moment, but uh, you, you do go like, there it goes. All right, that just went. Yep. And um, I don't use it now, but I do want to preface the fact that I never punch myself in the mouth. And I, I just was waiting for it to happen. I was waiting to lose a tooth, but I never did it. And uh, I was able to hold on to the string the whole time. Why don't you run us through the mechanics of what a back tension release is and why I would say that I was happy I never punched myself in the face. Well, that just means that you haven't shot it long enough because <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> we've all done it, and you know, we've, I've done it with all styles, so all three of the styles of you know, releases that we've mentioned uh, at some time, uh, sometime during my career. But uh, you know, a back tension... You know, it's becoming more and more popular because of the fact that, you know, there's, you know, some guys on TV that are using them and people see that, you know, that they're very accurate and, you know, they want to try it. So, you know, if somebody's out there trying it and they're successful with it, then, you know, people see it, hear it, they want to try it. But, uh, you know, basically, you know, you're looking at a release that has no trigger. Uh, and, you know, there's several different types of back tension releases out there. 
So you're like wondering, well, what actually activates the release? Well, what you have basically is two sear edges, uh, and once you know the sear passes a point uh, of the edge, it uh, it actually fires. So you know what you're looking at is basically you know if you're walking on the ledge, you're walking on a cliff, and you're blindfolded, and you don't quite know where or how many steps it's going to take before you fall off the edge. That's what you're looking at, you know, with the back tension. So, you know, if you're, you know, walk along that cliff and, you know, just boom, all of a sudden, boom, there it goes. That means, you know, with a back tension release, you've, you've made it to the edge and now you're, you know, just a little more movement, you're going to fire. Um, so that's, you know, in a nutshell, you know, what a tragulous back tension release is, is basically, you know, a certain amount of movement, depending on how you set the release up. Uh, you know, and once you reach that movement, then your release fires. And, you know, each, like I mentioned, each one of them can be set up differently. One popular aspect of a back tension release is a click. Uh, and what I mean by a click is it's kind of like a safety. Uh, you know, and I use a click uh, if I use a back tension model uh, in practice or whatever, uh, because it is like a click and, or like a safety. And I know that, you know, once I roll my back tension to a certain point, it's going to make this click noise. And then that means I have ever so slight and ever so slight amount of movement left before that release is going to fire. Um, you know, and I do this because, you know, if I'm in an uphill situation or a downhill situation uh, at a 3D event, then, you know, sometimes depending on the way your body's positioned, you may get to that click faster than you would if you're just standing on level ground. So that's mm -hmm. my safety, uh, you know, when I'm, you know, out of my, you know, comfort zone as far as, far as being on level ground to know that, hey, you're getting close to the edge and the release is going to fire. Uh, and it can either one of two things, it can do one of two things for you. It can tell you either let down and start all over because you've positioned your hand in a position that's going to, cause the release to fire sooner than you want. So if it went click, you'd still let it down? You still have the nerve to let your bow down? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 easily done, and, you know, we do it all the time. But, uh, you know, what that means is, you know, some people will be drawing the bow and it'll click. Uh, you know, I would suggest if, if you do that, then you need to let down the start all over. You know, position your hand in a safer position before you draw the bow. You know, the most the most accurate way and the best way to draw a back tension release is basically with all the weight of the bow on your index finger and your thumb. And what that does is that keeps the release in an inverted position where it allows you to draw the bow back without activating the release. And that's important if you don't have a safety because you don't know when it's going to go off. You have an idea, but you don't know exactly when. And you could be three-quarter drawn and over-rotate your hand to where it causes the sear edges to pass each other, and boom, you hit yourself in the face. So, you know, and that's why there's, you know, specifically for that reason, there's, you know, I know our, our company makes one that has a safety, and, you know, most other companies make, you know, at least one model that have a safety that allow you to pull the bow back with your hand in any position, and then once you reach full draw, you click that safety off or 
push the safety forward, whatever you need to do to put your release now in a in a fire uh, in a firing zone, if you will. What's your opinion on using that type of release whitetail hunting? I think it's a great thing because, and it's basically for this reason only, is a back tension release. No matter if you're, you know, the best shooter in the world or a you know, an introductory shooter with a back, uh, back tension, it's going to force you to make the best shot every time. And I say this because, you know, you're going to have very bad results if you are all jacked up and you have buck fever and a buck comes in and you don't remind yourself that, hey, I'm using a back tension release here. i got to make a perfect shot. Otherwise, I could potentially miss this 200-inch deer that's walking in at 15 yards. And, you know, this, I say this, you know, you know, because if you don't make a perfect shot and you punch it like you would your index finger or your thumb activated because you're nervous or because you're, you know, all buck fevered up, then a back injury release is going to show a lot more, uh, it's going to show a, a much larger, uh, bad shot as opposed to, you know, a thumb activated one. So if you don't make a perfect shot, essentially with a back tension, your results are going to be way far worse than they would be with a thumb or an index trigger. That's a really good point. It really forces you to slow down with a back tension release, take a breath, focus. Yeah. And that's why some people, you know, in the hunting industry use them is because it, you know, you know, if they're spotting, stalking, you know, an elk or mule deer, and, uh, you know, they run up and the closest they can get is like 55 yards, then, you know, this, this back tension release is going to force them to, you know, make the best shot they can, which in turn is probably going to shrink their group up at, you know, that 55 yard distance or greater. And I think that, you know, a lot of people are realizing that, that, you know, Hey, with, you know, the, the quality of animals, you know, the, you know, the, that we're known for that keeps getting better and better every year. Uh, you know, they don't want to miss that opportunity at that huge buck or, uh, you know, huge bull. So they're forcing themselves to hunt with a back tension because they want to be able to be ready and they want to re- remind themselves, Hey, you know, take a couple of extra breaths or, you know, relax or remember you got to make a perfect shot here on this animal because if you don't, the results are not going to be good. And, uh, you know, I think if they, if people take a few seconds and tell themselves that and slow down, you know, then I think, you know, it's going to have good results. And I think that's what a back tension gives to some people, you know, some people that may get jacked up, you know, because, you know, a huge buck is in bow range or, you know, whatever. And, uh, I think it gives them that, uh, that sense of, uh, uh, calming you know or sense of relaxation to understand hey this is it i gotta make it happen and i gotta do it the best i can and make the best shot Mm -hmm. and uh back tension gives them that you said 90 percent of the population are using a wrist strap style release by uh, releasing that basically activating the release with their index finger what type of advice would you give somebody that wants to get into a uh, thumb activated release or a back tension release? Would you advise them to move right to a uh, back tension release or would you suggest maybe to stair step it in with a thumb activated release or what would be your 
recommendation because you're shooting a thumb style trigger release. I'm shooting a thumb style trigger release. I've tried the back tension release. It was fantastic for figuring out what the heck back tension really is because you just can't get the bow to go off <laughs> if you don't use back tension. You just you can't fake it. it either you do it or you don't. Um, I, I, what would you recommend for somebody when you know 90% of the people are buying a wrist style release if they want to get probably a little bit more accuracy uh, from what I'm hearing from you? Um, obviously, people can be very accurate with a, with a wrist style release. What, what would your recommendation be? You know, I, uh, I, you know, and I'm not. This is, I'm not saying this just because I use it, but I think ultimately a, a thumb style release will take a index style shooter to a little bit higher level. And I, I say this because, uh, you know, it uh, it gives them, you know, a more solid anchor point. You know, with the wrist strap, sometimes people are floating with their anchor point mm-hmm. uh, on the side of their face. Uh, you know, some people anchor with their thumb behind their ear. You know, and it's just, it, those are all great ways, you know, to work and to activate an index-style trigger. But I think, you know, you know, some people, once they reach a certain point, are looking for something else that, uh, you know, that could potentially make them a better shot. And I firmly believe that, you know, a handhead-style release, whether it be a back tension or a thumb-activated, can do that. And, you know, the only advice I would have there is, um, you know, a lot of people say it's kind of hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Well, that's, you know, very important to remember that statement when you're using a back tension release, uh, you know, specifically, is that it's hard to teach somebody, you know, a certain way to do it, you know, if they've been used to something else for so long. Well, you know, if you're if somebody's interested in a back tension, you know, the biggest thing is you can't be afraid of it. And I would suggest that, you know, somebody, you know, that wants to try a back tension, that they get one with a safety in the beginning. There's you know, there's there's plenty of models out there with the safety. And what this is gonna do is it's gonna eliminate that fact of uh, insecurity that somebody may have and that fear of popping themselves in the mouth. Uh, you know, so you know, once you get that one with the safety and you perfect it and you understand and feel, you know, what the shot feels like or what it's supposed to feel like, uh, you know, when your bow goes off with the one with the safety and you get to a certain level that you think you, you know, can go to one without uh, a safety device, then, you know, kind of stair-step your way that way. Um, so my advice, you know, is, you know, to to find, you know, a proper instructor or somebody that knows about back tension, you know, and have them train you the right way. Because if you do it on your own, uh, you're potentially going to open yourself up to bad habits just like with any other release. So, you know, learn the right way and, and don't be afraid of it. Yeah, we had that in another episode, Brandon. I think that's a great point. Is just just like any other sport. If you don't have somebody to help you out, or unless you got a mirror right in front of you, you're going to record yourself. <laughs> I mean, how do you know if you're if you got bad form, you're practicing right, or you're holding the release accurately? Uh, you need right. somebody to to coach you, even if it's a peer. Um, you know, if it's a buddy you shoot with all the time. I mean, it's if they got some knowledge that you don't, they maybe they could help you out. Uh, it's very difficult to do it on your own. That's right, and it's difficult to to do it on your own based off of what you've read. Uh, you know, you need to find somebody that's experienced it and that knows, you know, or has a little bit of knowledge behind it, like you mentioned, because, you know, 
yeah, you don't know if you're going to be practicing something for three months the wrong way, and then you know a month before season comes in, you're like, you know, what do I do now? I've been doing it all the wrong way for the last three months. So, you know, visit that local pro shop or you know somebody that has uh, you know experience what back tension or what thumb activation is, or if you've shot fingers while you're life and you're going to try an index pile trigger or whatever. Uh, you know, go to somebody that has a little bit of knowledge with each one of those aspects because ultimately it could save you your teeth and it could save you also, you know, a lot of headaches. I think we've done a pretty good roundabout on releases. Is there anything that we could have missed that you want to make sure that people are educated on when it comes to release aids? Ultimately, it comes down to uh, comfortability, you know, what, what you feel the most comfortable with uh, in your hand and what you feel like you can you know, be the most accurate with. Uh, and, you know, in addition to that, uh, you know, making sure that you're properly fitted just like you would with your bow, uh, you know, and making sure you have the right draw length. It's important to make it, making sure that, you know, your release is fit to you. And, uh, you know, it's something that uh, ultimately can decide, you deciding factor of whether or not it works for you. And it could be something as simple as the release being too big or too small. So, uh, you know, comfortability and fit are the two biggest things to uh, to remember, uh, you know, when you're selecting a release. And, uh, you know, that's likewise across the board, whether it's a, you know, all print styles, whether it's an index style release uh, with a trigger, uh, whether it's a thumb activated release with a trigger, or a triggerless back tension release. Um, and know that, you know, some people are, you know, I forgot to mention this when we were talking about handouts earlier, but, uh, you know, some people are like, well, I don't want to go trampling through the woods with this release in my pocket, uh, you know, or hanging off my bowstring, you know. And, you know, one fix that, you know, we've we've created in our product line from top to bottom in our handheld releases are a a lock or lanyard system to where you can actually, you know, put a wrist strap on all of our handouts. So it's there at your mercy. Uh, and you don't have to worry about dropping it out of a tree stand or dropping it in the woods when you're spotting stopping. Uh, yeah. You know, it's right there on your wrist. So I forgot to mention that earlier, but I wanted to mention it. Whether it's a back tension or thumb, you can still, you know, attach a, a lanyard to it. Uh, or a actual Velcro or buckle style wrist strap. So, it, you know, it's right there on your system and then you don't have to worry about losing it. Do you use that system by chance or you just attach it to your string and wait for a white tail to come in? I do use a lanyard, which is, you know, basically is a rope that goes around my wrist. To me, it's less bulky than a strap, so I can still wear my gloves comfortably. Uh, you know, if I'm hunting with gloves, if it's real cold out or whatever. So, uh, I, I use the lanyard and it, it, allows me to put it around my wrist and I can still put my hands in my pockets. I can still put them in my, uh, my heater muff, uh, or whatever. Mm. And the release still be attached to my wrist. So that's, that's really important for, I, I know for hunters, you know, if they're a tree stand hunting, uh, you know, or spot and stock and, you know, to be able to have that, uh, that release attached to their body. And, you know, that's, that's a feature that we've built into our entire product line and, it's an accessory that can be purchased in addition to your release. You know, that's a really great point, Brandon, because I've always taken my release aid and I just attach it to my string loop. And while I'm waiting on my tree stand or my blind, I just 
you know, pick up my bow, pull back in the string and shoot. That's a great point. I'm, I'm thinking about when the days are really freaking cold here up in northern Michigan. And uh, it's like uh, zero degrees. You got the same challenges in Wisconsin. And, you know, not, not so much as in Ohio and Indiana. But it's, man, it gets really cold in northern Michigan and northern Wisconsin. Right. And uh, when you, and I don't like to have a glove on when I shoot. I mean, it's almost, you get, it's like permanent frostbite. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I don't like shooting with gloves on either because I don't normally do it very often. But that's also a key selling point for people too because, you know, most guys, even if it's real cold out, they don't want to, uh, you know, eliminate the fact that, uh, you know, eliminate the glove wearing. And, you know, some people strap the, the wrist strap style release right over the gloves and, you know, they still got the glove on and they, you know, still shoot, but that's all fine and dandy, but make sure you practice that way because, you know, depending on how cold it is and how bulky your gloves are, it could change your anchor point. It could change your point of impact. And then you, you know, given the situation, the deer walks in front of you and you hit six or seven inches right or left, it could, you know, be the fact, determining factor of whether you recover that animal or not. So, you know, again, it reverts back to practice and, you know, make sure you practice like, uh, you know, you're going to be shooting, uh, you know, out in the timber or on the line, uh, you know, because I'm not going to practice with gloves off, gloves on if I'm shooting at an indoor tournament and it's a temperature-controlled environment. And on the flip side, you know, I'm not going to set my bow up completely and not practice with gloves on if I'm going to be wearing them when I get out in the woods because it, it changes stuff. And, you know, just like a face mask or, you know, anything like that, a glove, uh, you know, has a totally different feel. And, you know, it can mean whether you, you know, harvest the animal or not. Yeah, what I like about that wrist strap idea also is, um, when it, what I was going to say is when it does get that cold, you're able to put your hand back in your pocket and you're able to put the re- get the release in there also, and you're not worrying about fumbling for your release later, <laughs> but at least your release is staying warm at the same time. Yeah, it's hooked to you, and and you got it when you need it. You know that's a big uh, a big plus. You know to where you're not fumbling for it, and you don't drop it out of the tree stand. That's great. You know, another important another important thing would be you know never just buy one. And you know I can say that as a uh, as a manufacturer of the releases because we want to sell lots of them, but uh, always have a backup. I mean that's. uh, the important thing to remember because these are mechanical devices. You never know when something's going to go wrong and, uh, you know, don't go on a $20,000 hunt, you know, for moose without a backup release. I mean, you know, spend the extra 50 or a hundred dollars to have a backup, uh, you know, cause you never know. And don't tell your buddy where you put your backup release either in case he wants to screw with you and, uh, basically hide your release on you. At least you got the backup that's like it's, in, it's tucked in your shoe and like your bag that's got a bunch of other stuff around it. So nobody knows where it is. Yeah, whether you lose it or your best friend, you know, hides it from you, playing a trick on you, you should have a backup. And I think that's I agree. That's an important uh, thing to remember, you know, if you're going anywhere, you know, on a hunt uh, or to hunt anywhere, even if you're going out in your backyard. Absolutely. Um, you know, you never know when that, uh, that opportunity or that uh, buck of a lifetime is going to be there. You don't want to be fumbling for a release that you dropped out of the tree, you know, when you can have a spare one in your pocket uh, or in your backpack. So it's, uh, it's important. I don't go anywhere without, uh, you know, just one. And I would I would recommend that to uh, to anybody listening that, uh, you know, don't just, you don't deal with just one arrow. So you shouldn't go with just one release. 
Well, Brandon, thank you so much for your time today to be able to go through the ins and outs of all three styles of these releases. And I couldn't think of anybody that would be as qualified as yourself to be able to run us through the different benefits, the uh, the, the advantages and the disadvantages. Uh, there's just a lot to consider when choosing a release aid uh, these days. It's not just a one-size-fits-all. You really need to get out to a pro shop, try the different styles, see what works best for you. Your time has been very valuable, and uh, speaking on behalf of everybody, we really appreciate you taking the time out for this. I enjoy it, and uh, you know anything I can do to help people accomplish their goals or be the best archer they can be, it's like a success for me. So, not only do I, you know, I hunt and, and throw animals on the wall every now and then, but uh, if I can help somebody else do that and you know share it through a picture, or email, or a text message, that. Uh, like another success story for me. So I, I enjoy doing it. I'm glad you asked and we'll do it any other time. Great. Thanks again, Brandon. To ensure you catch our next episode, go to www.whitetailexperience.com and join our whitetail community. 